0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Sangha, community, the Buddhist word for community. It's one of the core teachings of the Buddha in order to fully do this thing. Buddhism, which is a path to ending suffering in our own lives, that we need uh, community. We need uh, support from each other. Can't do it alone. Um, What we're doing is really radical, Uh, just trying to be kind and compassionate, forgiving and loving, mindful in this world that doesn't have a lot of support for things like compassion and kindness and non-attachment. So, so important. And so I'm always trying to figure out ways to help you meet each other. I feel like one of my jobs is to, certainly it's my job to teach you about Buddhism and give you some meditation instructions, support you in that way. But also I feel like it's part of the meditation teacher's job to help you meet each other because ultimately my own sense of the meditation teacher, the Dharma teacher's job is to make oneself unnecessary to make the students independent, not to create dependency and to be like, you need me to teach you shit. <laughs> we need teachers to to uh, point out some instructions, share the Dharma with us, support us in that way. But at some point you don't need the teacher. You need the community forever. <laughs> you need people and relationships and a supportive a community to be part of, like, we need that as part of our ongoing, this is the Buddhist teaching. Uh, On his deathbed, he, you know, he said, I'm dying. And, uh, and people were like freaked out going like, well, who do we, who's going to be our teacher now? He's like, the Dharma, you, I gave you the teachings. You have it, you have it, follow these four noble truths, follow this eightfold path. Once you've learned it, you don't need somebody to keep, teaching it to you over and over, but you you show up, And some of you've been coming for years and years, you show up to the teacher so that you can connect with the community because that's the sort of central gathering point of how you meet each other and how you connect with each other. And and of course we can all use the reminders over and over what the teachings are and how to apply them in our lives. And you hear the same Dharma talks over and over but you hear it in different ways. My experience is, is that as over the years So I'll hear the same talk, read the same, you know, stuff, literature, but it'll land differently because my perspective is changing through my meditation practice, through my recovery, through my maturing uh, different perspectives on the same exact teaching. So uh, I'm going to talk about a few different things tonight, but one of the things I'm going to talk about is karma. So just as I say karma... What do you, what's your idea of karma? Uh, Certainly in the West, it's become sort of commercialized and it's sort of come into our uh, language and our kind of pop culture. You know, you'll see advertisements about karma. You know, sort of some of the Buddhist phrases. I saw some fast food billboard recently about something uh, the nirvana burgers or something like that it was like this 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 cheeseburger will take you to nirvana kind of you know so some of these concepts you know or the band nirvana or you know karma is just kind of thrown around um and i think often karma is sort of thrown around as like you'll be punished mostly in a negative con- context like if you do some bad shit, you'll get bad karma, and so maybe that's what you think it means like just am I asking you to reflect on your relationship to karma um, and in a minute, I'm gonna have you talk to you know each other about karma for for a few minutes. The greater context of uh the Buddhist teaching uh is that uh, we have karma, we create karma, and that our karma does not only um, come into fruition in this lifetime. That actually we're in a cycle of rebirth or reincarnation, that you know the actions in this lifetime can come into fruition in a um, next lifetime. And that some of the shit we're experiencing in this lifetime is our karma from our past lifetimes. This is the the whole context of the Buddha's teaching. And so you can think about, do you believe that? I think, you know, we have a lot of uh, rational, scientific, fucking prove it attitude (laughs) in our community. I'm a little bit that way myself. I'm like, it sounds a little mystical for me. But maybe, you know. Maybe that is what's happening here. Maybe we are in a cycle of rebirth and that some of the uh, really difficult experiences in this lifetime, you know, like why do terrible things happen to good people? You know, like, well, maybe last time you weren't so good. (laughs) (laughs) And it's tricky because even saying that it can be misused to blame the victim or, Um, you know, if it's not within the context of compassion and the context of um, empathy for suffering, uh, we don't want to start saying like, oh, it's your karma that you're having this experience, this lifetime. But maybe it's true. The Buddha seemed to think that that was part of the uh, context of our actions can come into fruition here and now, in the, you know, there's sort of instant karma. or any time in the future including future births which also means some of the good shit you do now not necessarily going to pay off in this lifetime from this perspective <laughs> you're like i've been doing all this generosity and all of this service and life keeps being difficult and how come i'm not getting all of the fruits of all of this uh meritorious actions that i've been doing you know like might not come into fruition right away from this perspective. I don't have a strong uh, agenda that you believe in rebirth, but part of the question, and for you to just turn to some people, hopefully in the room that you don't know so well, and you don't have to get too close. I know it's COVID Delta, people are a little bit concerned. You know, you can still keep a few feet and still talk to each other. Um, so, You know, wear your mask if you want to wear your mask when you're talking to people or people are talking to you. You know, you get to choose how you how you interact up to you. Uh, And at home, uh, the question is, you know, just some of your own reflections on karma. Go ahead and find a couple people and talk about karma with them for a moment. Your understanding currently. And I'll put you guys in breakout groups. I encourage you to join the breakout group and talk to some people about karma
1: tell me how are you pretty good
0: just how was the drive down so easy traffic coming in not bad everybody's going the other way over the
1: are you
0: saying for class or are you just saying hi okay if you want to jump in we're talking about karma you know he should go talk to that guy in the tie-dye back there that's my good my buddy you'll like him okay
1: (laughs) I do know i
0: no we're good totally good yeah thank you for yeah
1: no we're good yeah
0: take care of yourself get some
2: rest okay thank you
1: yeah, I don't
3: know that <laughs>
1: yeah, <I don't> <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you didn't join a group, we'll start in a few minutes,
1: hang in there. (laughs) I am trying to get away. So, I just said, I'm not sure and so right <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do with your not I don't want yeah. 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 to <laughs> 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 yeah, why
0: I know three minutes isn't really enough time to have an in-depth discussion about karma, but it is enough time to meet a couple people in the room and see how fucking crazy they are.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: or just to connect for a minute. So we'll meditate on, um, mostly do mindfulness. I'm going to talk about the five uh, daily remembrances or or recollections that um, are encouraged in Buddhism to to remember on a daily basis that we are uh, subject to uh, sickness and aging and death that uh, just to remember like, okay, I'm in this impermanent body process. It's part of the first foundation of mindfulness to so, uh, a couple weeks ago, I did a corpse meditation. I'm not going to hit you with the corpse meditation again tonight, but just, I might bring in some reflections on impermanence and decay and that this process that we're experiencing is, is temporary and is constantly changing sickness, aging, death, part of the deal. Um, there's the, the Buddhist joke, uh, of the the Buddhist coroner who got fired from his job because uh, on every single toe tag he was putting cause of death was birth,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? And so, like as Buddhists, we realize like, well, yeah, you you know, you take birth, you experience sickness, aging, death. Now, er- er- all you know, I'm not not that Buddhists have the corner on that very simple, uh, you know reality everybody knows it on some level but um there can be a cultural denial about it and a kind of uh rejection of it and all of the kind of I want to stay young like us punk rockers I'm going to stay young until I die seven seconds sort of I'm stay young until I die or you know or the kind of more mainstream like I'm going to uh, do anti-aging diet and anti-aging cream and anti-aging shampoo and anti-aging, you know, like everything, like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna resist it. Now, I don't have a, a ton of judgment about, you know, any of that, like if that's everybody's choice, you know, of course, like however you want to try to take care, you know, healthy, like take care of your body and, and all of those things, you know, stay as healthy as you can in the process of aging and <laughs> in, in the process of Uh, you know, facing death uh, that is inevitable for all of us. So those are the first three. And then the the last two, and I'm going to talk about this afterwards uh, more in depth, hopefully, which is that um, because of the the impermanence of the body, um, everything that we hold dear, we lose because of the reality of impermanence. So uh, everything ends in loss. And grief, and there's the kind of the big griefs when, you, when a friend of yours dies or a relationship ends or, you know, big, big changes in our life. There's those big losses and griefs. Um, but there's also just the everyday grief. That um, we will never have this moment again. And that's always true. No matter what you're doing, you can never experience it exactly that same way again. And there's a kind of grief of like, I want, you know, like the 80s were so cool. (laughs) The 90s were so cool. the Whatever it was. And we can spend our lives kind of going like, that was the best. And I want to experience that again when it's gone. It's done. And even yesterday is Done. And we have memories, right? We have mental impressions of the experiences, even today. Today is dead. Everything you did today is. And there can be, especially when it's really pleasurable, there can be a sense of like, well, I have to kind of grieve that. Um, Lily and I were in Yosemite this week, and there was that, you know, of like, wow, this is fucking amazing. And uh, if you haven't been to Yosemite, you have to go. I hadn't been in like 20 years. I, w- I went to a bunch in the 90s, but I haven't been um, in a long time. And, and um, just that kind of like, you know, tendency, human tendency of like, oh, I love this. I You know, like, uh, I'll never get to experience it like this again. Um, everything ends in loss. Everything ends, and, and loss is just a human reality that we're all in and the fifth one connected to the question which is about uh karma the buddha says your only true possession our only the only thing we actually own because you're gonna you know when you die you don't get to take your house your car your kids your friends your loved ones you don't get to take anything with you when you die none of your shoes or your handbags or your record collection none of it (laughs) Holy shit, you're like, that's my shit. You don't get to keep. We know that, right? We all know that. But the Buddha reminds us, he says, reflect on a daily basis that the only thing that you actually own are your actions. You do own your karma. Karma karma means actions. And so how you behave, how you speak, how you act, how you interact, how you react to difficult situations, even when it's really justified to be an asshole, Like they totally deserved it. Right. They were being rude. So I was rude back. You own that rudeness. (laughs) Even when it's justified, right? Like that, that's something that you, it like, I don't know what the image is. And Buddhism is not big on souls, but let's just say like, it sticks to your soul. When you die, you bring all of that karma with you. Now, uh, not soul, it's the wrong term, but uh, it's an easy one to, to use. And um, but so that's sort of the bad news, but also the good news is every good deed, every act of kindness, every moment of generosity, of friendliness, of being patient with the person who's being rude, being tolerant of the traffic instead of raging about it, of uh, you know, kind of... Responding wisely uh, to to the reality that you're in also sticks to your soul. It's not really soul, but something. There's some part of us that collects the karma, according to the Buddha, and that that karma comes with you. When you die, you still possess those actions from this lifetime and maybe whatever was already (laughs) there. So I'm going to talk more about this later, but for now, we will meditate, and maybe I'll throw in some of these reflections into the meditation, since you're all prepped. Find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed, please. Allowing your eyes to be closed. Bringing our full awareness into the body, dropping out of the world of thoughts and memory and plans into the sensory world of physical sensations. As you bring mindfulness into your body, soften your belly, your jaw, your shoulders, and let yourself grieve a little bit, acknowledging impermanence and loss. Let yourself feel that so many of the sweet, Experiences that we've had will not be exactly reproduced. Letting go, softening and grieving the past. With each breath softening the belly, so often we hold tightness in the belly, resistance, suppressing sadness or grief. The invitation is to soften it and allow it to come to the surface. where it can be felt, where it can be tended to. Now, you may not be really feeling any grief in this moment. You don't have to manufacture it, but you can just inquire into your heart, your belly, your body. If there's anything here to be felt, making your Yourself or your awareness available to it. As you feel each breath coming and going, mindfulness of the breath, of the body. everything that we love we will lose all of the wonderful experiences that we have are all temporary fleeting even the spiritual experiences don't last even the best meditation you'll ever experience will be impermanent softening your heart and your belly, your jaw into the reality of loss. This body that is so much alive right now, hopefully pretty healthy, is subject to aging. not exempt from aging. Our youth is gone. this body so much alive, hopefully healthy in this moment, subject to illness, to injury. Breathing it in, rather than resisting, denying or trying to avoid reality. The Buddha's wise encouragement is to turn towards it. To embrace the impermanent, sometimes unpleasant truth about existence.
2: Keep returning to the breath. Don't get too much in your head around the past or the future. Just reflecting on, letting go. Feeling what's here to be felt.
0: Softening any tension in the body, any
2: resistance that manifests. Bringing an attitude of loving kindness to loss. An attitude, a relationship of compassion for the grief. The ordinary everyday normal losses. Returning to the body, breathing, feeling the contact with the chair.
0: When your attention gets involved in thinking about the future or the past, perhaps just place the word here in your mind.
2: Cut through the discursive thinking by reminding yourself, I'm here. Right now, sitting, breathing, feeling. Contemplating the reality of sickness and aging. Death. And tending to the fears, the griefs. that arise, experienced in the body, in the heart, in the mind, Any parts of reality that we don't accept we suffer about. Mindfulness is turning towards and accepting the reality of this human condition, the impermanent Nature, rising, passing. Accepting ourselves just as we are, our minds.
0: Sometimes dysfunctional tendencies, critical, fear-based. all of the
2: craving and aversion of our survival instinct. Accepting the impermanence and also accepting the fear and the sadness and grief. A wise response to unpleasant experiences in the heart and the mind and the body is to bring compassion and caring, mercy, friendliness. Resistance and avoidance is so Futile, but turning towards with your own loving kindness and acceptance. Saying to yourself, breathing in the acknowledgement, I'm aging, I'm not exempt from aging. And reflect,
0: and breathe in, and bring tenderness to aging. Maybe it's no big deal
2: yet. Maybe you've suffered about it some. How's aging going for you so far? How are you feeling about it? Can you meet it with acceptance? Saying to yourself, I am subject to illness, injury, disease, susceptible, not exempt. These human bodies so resilient in so many ways and also so fragile Whether it's the cold or the flu or COVID or or cancer or heart disease or whatever illnesses we may experience in our life. Even if we live a long, healthy life, just the decaying of the body and the loss of energy, and mobility, eyesight and hearing, it all goes eventually. none are exempt in this way we're connected with all other living beings we're not alone in the fight against gravity Gravity always wins. Mm -hmm. Saying to ourselves, all that I'm Attached to, all that I hold as mine, as dear, I will eventually lose, I don't get to keep. Some of the losses will happen in this lifetime. Some will happen at death. And lastly, our acknowledgement of karma. My only true possession is my actions, my karma. Karma is the ground that I stand on. is the reality that I create for myself. For the last couple of minutes, just feeling the breath, body, here, feeling whatever emotions are present. And accepting ourselves just as we are, whatever level of
0: ease we're able to find, or uneasiness, anxiety stress or fear even thinking about death brings up just accepting yep
2: kind of freaked out that's okay too That meditation is over forever. (laughs) It'll never happen again, just like that.
0: Something about our um, human, I don't know what it is, survival instinct that just really wants to go into denial about impermanence you notice that (laughs) just doesn't like it just like no i want to pretend like this is going to last and it's going to keep going and it's not going to change and it's not going to end and even the way we talk to each other and i've said uh this in here before the kind of like see you later i'm totally guilty of this it's like one of my you know, see you later. See you next time. I'll say to people, "See you later." Probably say it to somebody tonight. Hey, great, great seeing you in your class. See you next time. With this sort of assumption that we'll ever see each other again. Not, uh, you know, there's a big assumption there. See you later. <laughs> see you next. You know, maybe. And I, I told the story recently about how one, my, one of my teachers, Ajahn Amaro, Buddhist monk, uh, one time, long time ago gave me this teaching I was saying see you later to him see I can't wait to see you again and he stopped me and he said um, just say goodbye to me forever
1: <laughs>
0: stop this attachment
1: <laughs>
0: I'll see you later uh, assumption in your communication he's like he was gentle about it he was like you know well, hopefully but as you know we're practicing the Dharma the dharma of non-attachment, the dharma of awakeness to impermanence. And to actually, it's a delusion to say in it with a certainty, I will see you later. More like if I guess we wanted to be cleaner in our language, we would say something like, uh, it is my intention to see you again. (laughs) It is my hope that uh, we will gather again you know that we will i hope you come back next week or you know i hope to see you again you know because if we acknowledge that really it's just a hope it's just an intention it's not there's no certainty that because of the impermanence because of the death reality that we're living in of uh, impermanent bodies um you know i'm thinking about this and giving this talk on the Five recollections, daily, daily reflections. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did death, uh, thinking about karma, the five precepts. Last week, we did um, the five precepts. Um, my partner Lily, you know, came home from work today and, and said, you know, one of my coworkers died today. And um, I think four or five of her coworkers have died in the last month, something like that. And mostly uh, young, like younger-ish, like younger than me, or around, you know, like thirties, forties, fifties. Cancer, one suicide. um, You know, just like a a lot of loss. And it's there's always a lot of loss, but then you know sometimes it's not so directly in your life, and so. Yesterday, I was talking to a member of our sangha, long-term member of our sangha, uh, who's with his father who has cancer, and um, <clears throat> you know, and he was in uh, the situation with his father. It sounds like in you know, a treatable cancer with um, chemo and all of that stuff, but the the side effects of the cancer, uh, he's lost the use of his legs and. Um, Just in a very active, healthy, I think he's a runner, you know, like one of those kind of like, I have just lost this, all of these abilities that I've been so involved in and and identified with. And uh, even though the treatment may work, lots of pain, and it sounds like the treatment's likely to work, but um, just a lot of suffering around like uh, illness immobility uh, we, we so much uh, take it for granted until you get sick till you get disease till you I had a I got to do the spiritual practice of immobility or like partial I fought it pretty hard but I was I couldn't walk for like six months I guess it's about two years ago now I had a motorcycle accident and destroyed my knee and many of you saw me I had my knee totally immobilized so I couldn't put any pressure on it <clears throat> I, and even the crutches were were difficult but what I did was I got myself a scooter a three-wheel scooter because I couldn't put my leg down and then I fixed up a like a thing for my legs so that I could drive my scooter around Venice <laughs> this little like trike because I'm like fuck that I got to be mobile <laughs> I gotta get. I couldn't because I couldn't drive because my leg was straight. So I was like, "I'll figure out how to get around. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fight this
2: thing." So sometimes it
0: comes into your life, and I imagine that you've had different. Uh, one of the ways in Buddhism we talk about this is that they're like they're heavenly messengers. The Buddha said, you know, one of the things that set me out on this path of awakening was that I saw sickness and I saw aging and I saw disease and death. And it was what made me want to figure out what the fuck is going on here in this realm of sickness and aging and death and suffering along the way and then rebirth. And we come back and we do this over and over and he said, these are messengers, these are awakenings, right? So sometimes when somebody dies, it's this wake awakening to impermanence. When somebody gets a disease, illness, it's this awakening to the preciousness of life and the uh, appreciation of health while we have it. And, um, and then also if we can, especially if you have a practice or sometimes illness um, kind of pushes you into practice, so many people find meditation in a hospital bed. I had nothing else to do. I had to meditate. I was stuck there, so I started doing mindfulness. I started, you know, learning about loving kindness. You know, listening to dharma talks, whatever it is. Illness itself can be a very um, a good spiritual practice. Turning towards discomfort, turning towards death, trying to you know, see all of that survival instinct clinging and fear that naturally comes up in us and see it as impersonal. Oh, this is just my amygdala craving for, you know, that survival instinct part of my brain craving for existence. Um, Just fear. And, you know, I don't mean to be too dismissive by saying just fear, like fear is unpleasant. It's hard to bear. Um, pain is unpleasant, it's hard to bear. Uh, It's quite difficult to not turn our pain into suffering. It's quite difficult to not suffer at illness, or at loss, or at difficulties, however they're manifesting. It's one of the reasons why it's the encouragement to remind yourself every day, it's going to happen. Sickness, aging, death, right? Because it's, it's the fact that we don't remind ourselves every day that when it happens, we're like, why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? Why am I getting old? I didn't sign up for this shit. <laughs> but I didn't give permission to age to
2: this body. It keeps aging without my permission. I didn't sign up for wrinkles and sags and whatever. Baldness. I didn't sign up for this baldness. But the encouragement to say part of our practice is to turn
0: towards reality and say sickness, illnesses, just part of, part of it. Uh, and some people do seem to, you know, there's the, that phrase in the practice, I'm not exempt. You see some folks that look a little exempt, <laughs> right? It looks like, wow, you're fucking aging so well and you're so healthy and you're fucking 80 and you're still jogging or whatever, you know, like so like, you seem exempt (laughs) from this illness, aging, kind of difficult part. Some people, not, you know, really, you know, gravity really gets us (laughs) more than others. Uh,
2: But even in the best case scenario, the body itself, the functions just start breaking down.
0: Even if we don't get cancer or don't get us some sort of serious injury or, you know, there's just an impermanent lifespan that we're all in. And then the eyesight starts to go and the hearing starts to go and just normal. You know, all of the elasticity of the skin goes. It's unavoidable. You all, we all become saggy. <laughs> It's just part of it i want to say you all but it's all i'm not exempt we all
2: so so important
0: And then uh, I love the frame that, you know, the Buddha is saying, okay, not only sickness and and aging and and death and permanence in this way, but impermanence as the reality to all of our experiences and all of our possessions. Because of our tendency to cling and the suffering we create for ourselves through our attachment, trying to control, keep, take hostage. The Buddha says, remember, it's all impermanent. So, Uh, If you cling to it, you'll not only suffer about it, but no matter what, it's uh, transient. It will end in loss. And whether we lose some of it during our lives, you can think about some of your favorite things that you thought you were going to keep forever that maybe got stolen or broken or, um, you know, a bunch of our sangha went through the fires, the Malibu fires, and lost their homes. A couple of, you know, a few really close friends and you know, losing, and you, you thought, hey, I was going to get to keep all of that shit, that's my stuff, and it just burned up, just gone. And that sort of awakening of like, whoa, like I thought I got to keep my home, my home caught on fire, or a big earthquake comes, or, um, you know, it's been a while since we've had a big earthquake. I was in the uh, big earthquake in Santa Cruz in 1989, where it's like our town, the town I grew up in, the old main street that I used to mug people on.
1: <laughs> it's just
0: gone, just gone, just demolished. All of the buildings just demolished. And you go back and there's a street there and there's buildings, but it's not the same street and it's not the same buildings. The whole downtown had to be rebuilt. And, uh, or like 80% of it, or whatever. Was mugging too much? (laughs) Kind of joking, but also kind of true. Some some mugging happened.
2: And the kind of final
0: piece around karma, loss. And then, you know, where I started tonight and kind of want to end and have some discussion about all of this with you as a community and people online, um,
2: online community, the virtual Sangha, about what we really own is our actions, is our karma. And if we really remember that, would you behave a little bit
0: differently? If you're really being being conscious of that, there's no such thing as like just, a, when it comes to this perspective of karma, there's no justifiable, unskillful action, no matter what they did first. And if you're really aware of that, of like, if I react in an unskillful, unkind way in this situation, uh, I own that even if they fucking deserve it, I own it, right? They have their karma for their action, for their unskillful, rude, you know, violent, ignorant, you know, thing that they did or said. They own that. And now that I'm, you know, reacting to it, I own, however, my reaction. And I can have a skillful reaction. And I don't want to say that I think it's important to um, say that it doesn't always mean being passive when it comes to our reactions to other people's unskillful behaviors. It doesn't mean that you have to be passive. Sometimes there's a confrontation that's necessary. Um, sometimes there's a um, you know, correction that's necessary or a uh, a, a critique or but it's the way that we do it right if we do it in a uh, it's important to speak out against racism it's important to speak out against sexism it's important to speak out against all forms of cruelty and oppression but if you say hey go fuck yourself you fucking racist you're creating the karma of hatred in you, rather than uh, in some way, um, having a confrontation that's not violent, that's not uh, coming from a place of hate in you, right? Meeting hatred with hatred, meeting ignorance with hatred, meeting confusion with violence, Um, from this perspective, is just create, you own that. We own that. I own that. Um, But it doesn't mean don't do anything, right? So that's where it gets tricky. And I know I've seen myself freeze a lot in my kind of practicing the precepts and being like, I want to do something, but I don't know how to do it skillfully. I don't know how to say anything in this situation without becoming angry or violent with my speech. So I'm just gonna keep my fucking mouth shut. And I don't feel like that's the right thing to do either. Like I want to encourage myself and the rest of us to find wise ways to communicate, even in conflict, even in uh, uh, you know difficult situations. But if there's a... Karmically, a way to do it that's not going to harm ourselves.
2: Even if they deserve it, you're harming yourself. Does that make sense? It's hard to, you know, fucking
0: be like, I got to care about my own karma enough to not hate you, even though you deserve to be hated. (laughs) (laughs) On some level, right? Like it's so justifiable to be like that person, really. But they have all of the karma of their ignorance. And we have all of the karma of
2: our reaction to their ignorance. And so not only does it affect our mood day-to-day, instant karma,
0: your attitude, your actions. It's like how you feel you know, when you're acting. You know, do you, how do you feel after you've been unkind? How do you feel after you've been violent you know, with your speech or, or, or perhaps actions or dishonest? or right. So all of this kind of karma is how you feel moment to moment in your life. And then it's long-term. How do you feel about yourself, the sort of self-esteem? how you actually feel about yourself, Like, how much integrity have you lived with, how much regret, how much guilt, how much shame do you have? Now, of course, when we're talking about karma, we are I'm only talking about stuff that's actually uh, unskillful. Because I just said shame and then I just caught myself. So many people have low self-esteem and shame and all of this stuff about stuff that's just completely not your fault and you didn't do anything wrong and you know you feel ashamed um, basically because of religion (laughs) (laughs) you know and it's like you know basically because of some lies your parents were told and your grandparents were told and you were told and you sort of took on this sort of unworthiness that is not true at all but you feel it right it's a real feeling the shame, the unworthiness, the low self-esteem. Um, but it's not based on you being a, you know, unskillful person. It's just based on us living in an unskillful culture. And, you know, mostly I think mostly it's religion's fault.
1: <laughs>
2: I don't know if this is true or not, but there's a story
0: that the Dalai Lama was asked about what the Western Buddhists are suffering most about. And a bunch of Western Dharma teachers went back to him and, he, and they, they said uh, they kind of had a little powwow. And they said, well, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of uh, and went back to the Dalai Lama and said, most of our students you know, are suffering most about this sort of unworthiness, not, not thinking that even this kind of feeling of like compassion is indulgent. Or being kind to yourself is indulgent, and is like you're unworthy of your own kindness and your own compassion, which is a form of self-hatred. You know, love your. You know, like it's not okay to love yourself, right? And some of you are like, yeah, it doesn't feel okay to love myself. Where'd you learn that? And so he went. They went to the Dalai Lama, and supposedly the Dalai Lama said, "I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. We don't experience that in Tibet." We don't even have a Tibetan word for self-hatred. There's not, it's not even like in our, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I think it's very interesting because it could be true. Um, The difference between a culture, Buddhist culture, that says you have Buddha nature, you have the potential to be an enlightened Buddha, a Bodhisattva, uh, you know, and, and raised from, you know, your whole life being told, like, you have Buddha nature, it's, in you you're wise you're compassionate love is your true nature like being told you know and that you have to fight against your clinging and your aversion and all of that but that that's not actually who you are mara isn't who you are buddha nature is who you are you have bodhicitta in your heart rather than our culture that says you know you're born into sin Jesus died for you, and you're a bad person.
1: <laughs>
0: and you think about sex, and that's wrong.
1: <laughs>
0: you masturbate, and that's shameful, right? You have desires, and, and uh, you know the kind of different way that we self-esteem that we have about ourselves based on the, what we're taught. And that the West is full of self-hatred. And, you know, I don't think that India and, you know, the kind of Asian cultures or Tibetan cultures are totally free from it. There must be, you know, their own ways, their own sort of neurotic ways that suffering manifests. But according to this story, they say we don't experience self-hatred. We know we are worthy of awakening and
2: that it's hard work, but that anybody can do it. So our karma is our only true possession and reminding ourselves
0: every day, I better be careful with how I speak. I better be careful with how I interact and how I react because I'm going to own this. All of it. There's no karma-free zones. You know how you act pretty I'm guilty of this for sure. Like you act pretty like skillful in the sangha. Right? You're together, you're all pretending like you don't fart.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> or whatever, you don't, you know. And then um, and then when you're just like alone with your friends, you're like,
1: yeah, fuck
0: those people. <laughs> Some of you are, and some of you are actually good Buddhists and you don't do that, but most of us do that. <laughs> and I hope it's part of the culture that I'm trying to create through against the stream, which is, you know, a, a Buddhist sangha culture that has have more authenticity. Because I don't know how many other spiritual communities you've been a part of, but most of them, I've been a part of a bunch of them, and most of them are really fake really sort of surface. Everybody's pretending like they don't fart and that you know they always whisper to each other all of the time. Um, there's you know and it you know it just it creates this sort of falseness rather than an authenticity of like yeah we all fuck up sometimes and we're trying to purify our karma and and wake up and take this seriously um, but also in an authentic way, in a real way that has the humility to you know, acknowledge our imperfections and um, that, we're, that like we're heading in that direction without having to pretend like we're already there. And maybe it actually comes with us into the next life. And maybe some of the shit in this life is from past lives. So what do you think about sickness, aging, death? loss and karma. I know it's a lot, but also, you know, I want to open some conversation. We have about 10 minutes left. And um, and really just a big encouragement to take this on as a practice. Try it for a couple weeks, every day. I'm, I'm of the nature to age, to uh, have illness, to die. Loss, karma is my only possession. Just bring it into your awareness, recite it. Um, a quick Google search of the five daily Buddhist reflections will give you the list and then you can just say them. I almost printed them out for you tonight, but I got too lazy. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I wasn't fully prepared. So what are your thoughts, questions, comments online or at home?
3: Uh, go ahead. Jump in. Um, thanks Noah. Thank you for, um, Sickness, loss, death, it sucks. That's what I think about that. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you to comment about um, amends because I'm kind of hung up on your, you know, I, I, I would love to say that I can always take a pause and react or respond with wisdom, you know, but <clears throat> some days I'm banging on the closed at and window door you know, like a Karen telling him he sold me a fucked up phone, right? Um, And then when I find out it's not entirely fucked up and it's my fault, I apologize, (laughs) right? I do. I apologize. I say, I'm sorry. So, so how is that, you know, because I'm human and I'm, I'm authentic in that moment. I'm freaking out. I don't have the wherewithal in that particular moment to understand exactly where my freak out is coming from. I just know that I'm freaking out. I'm being perfectly honest and authentic with the guy while I'm doing it. Then when I realize that I've made the mistake, the mistake is mine, I I can apologize and I do, I apologize. But what how does that affect my karma? Like, you know, I'm human. I'm going to make this amends. You know, do I have to do it like doubly? Do I have to do it like, you know, three times instead of one to one? I mean, how How does, is that going to work itself in there? Do I get credit somewhere?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, can,
0: everybody could hear it in the back. You can hear her good enough. Yeah. This is not, you've, I think you've heard me say this before. It's not exactly how it works, but it's the simplest way to explain it. Um, uh, karma as a savings and loan account. <laughs> so the the rude action you know the um uh is a withdrawal right of like i'm taking uh you know it's na- you know it's taking away from you know the the goal is balance your checkbook your karmic checkbook at death if it's not balanced you know or in the um you know uh you know, in the bl- what is it, in the black right if if there's not an abundance if you don't have more good karma than than negative karma at death you come back and have to deal with your negative karma right that's this is the the perspective so that action you know the unskillful action is a withdrawal you know you're your um, and then the amends is a uh, is a deposit it's a positive I'm putting something positive in right and so This is where I can't say, you know, how, you know, do you have to do twice as much good as as bad, right? And twice as many skillful actions as unskillful actions. Uh, Probably safe to like say that to yourself. Like I better, because I'm often unskillful, I better put twice as much uh, effort into doing good things and generosity and making amends and making amends. It's like in the forgiveness practice, um, there's a, a phrase when we're doing the forgiveness that says, um, "Please forgive me for having caused you harm, whether it was intentional or unintentional." And you know how so often we get stuck. I know I do. I get stuck and like, but it was. I didn't. It wasn't intentional. I don't. I don't want to make amends for shit that I didn't do on purpose. I only want to make amends for the shit I did on purpose. I only want to ask for forgiveness if I was consciously trying to hurt you. (laughs) And if I wasn't consciously trying to hurt you, then, right? But err on the side of safety to just be like, I'm going to apologize anyways. It wasn't my intention, but I want to apologize anyways. Somebody used this example with me. He's like, um, because there's a lot of conversation around impact versus intention. And then it doesn't matter what your intention was. What was the impact of your action? And I'm always kind of like, well, Buddhism is only concerned with the intention. That might be true. Your karma is based on your intentional actions. If it wasn't your intention, you know, you're only getting the karma for like intentionally breaking the window, (laughs) right? If you accidentally fall and trip and break the window, You know, it's not like you didn't do that on purpose. There's no karma in that. It's just when you throw the brick at it, then, you know, that wasn't an accident. So doing more, you know, being quick to apologize and to ask for forgiveness and to, uh, even if it was unintentional, both in our meditation practice and then also in that direct amends type of apologies and asking for forgiveness, err on the side of safety. What's, you know, what's wrong with apologizing more than necessary rather than less? More deposits <laughs> um, rather than more withdrawals. Thank I hope you. that's helpful. Yeah, welcome. Good to see you. David, jump in.
4: Yeah, along and on that same note and kind of uh, against the stream kind of idea, to... <laughs> I just had an experience like that this week where, you know, if we act like an asshole to someone, everyone is acting like assholes to people all the time. And I think that when we catch it and then we make the amends, I think that we make a huge karmic ripple because that guy at the at t store, for instance, or that person, that guy, you know, I almost was snarky to somebody when they were telling me to put on a mask. Almost, I caught myself. but I still hated this person. Because <laughs> you know? they just kind of said it in this like shitty way. And then when I went up to the, to the counter, the sign said, please wear a mask and don't yell at us. <laughs> and then I looked and it was this kid. And, and I said, do people yell at you? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that people yell at you. I didn't even yell at you. But just in those moments where we catch it and then we make an amends, I think that that makes such a, it makes like a love karma ripple Mm -hmm. that goes against the stream Mm -hmm. that I, I just have to feel. It seems like it has a disproportionate good karmic effect. Yeah. When we take the time to like be decent out loud.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love it. Uh, Could everybody hear it at home? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And just that, uh, hopefully, it is like that. Hopefully, there is a bigger deposit for the skillful acts that we do. And also, when you don't even have to.
4: I think it's a contrast within our Kali Yuga, sorry, kind of dark vibe you know society
0: that we live in yeah yeah and even being kind to confused people even the people that are yelling not just the ones that are getting yelled at hard right. it's so hard
4: some jesus
1: shit that's some jesus shit <laughs> <Are> you, <okay? laughs> you, you gig giggle,
0: you giggled <laughs> Um, I guess that's about all tonight. Be decent out loud was the quote. Be decent out loud. A couple of announcements as we end tonight. Class is done by donation, as you know. Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization supported by the generosity of the people who attend classes. Um, many people become, or some people, not that many actually, but <laughs> uh, sort of wishful thinking many, but some people become, uh, monthly supporters of saying like, I want to support against a stream, even when I don't show up. Um, and so you can do that on our website, become a monthly supporter. And I think there's options for $25 a month or $50 a month. And, you know, we don't charge memberships. It's not that kind of community. We don't charge people to come in here. Everyone is welcome. It's always by by donation for these drop-in classes. Um, but without your generosity, of course, we can't exist, you know, without the support of the community. Um, so please be generous in your donation. And please consider becoming a monthly supporter if you could afford $25.50 or $100 a month to just kind of auto auto withdrawal to come to us, you know, paying the rent and supporting the organization. Um, Please consider that or just give whatever feels appropriate to give tonight. Um, The October retreat, October 10th through 17th, seven-day retreat, is uh, getting close to selling out, but it's not sold out yet. There are still beds available, I think, in double rooms. Um, So you'd have to have a roommate. All the singles are sold out, I believe. There might be one single. I'm not sure. But if you're planning to come register, because it looks like it's getting pretty full. Uh, If you're willing to camp, you can camp. There is some scholarship money. We've um, kind of given we've given all of the I think we've had over 15, uh, maybe even more than that, requests for scholarship for people who want to come to retreat that can't afford it. Um, the cheapest price is, I think around 750 to camp. Um, so, um, there's scholarship money. If you can pay $250, um, then we can scholarship the rest, especially if you don't mind camping, you can come to retreat. Um, if you need a room, we can probably still get you a room. Um, and if you haven't done a retreat, highly, highly recommended. And if you have, you know how good it is for your, how, your own growth for your own wisdom, for your own um, sense of getting through uh, being with yourself without any distractions for a whole week. Um, we, we practice retreat in silence, noble silence, and it's uh, incredibly beneficial to this process that we're in, this process of awakening and, and freedom. So sign up, come to retreat with us. Um, somebody online is asking if there's going to be more retreats. That's the only residential against the stream retreat this year. Next year we'll have the Memorial day, three-day retreat. We'll have another, you know, usually I do for against the stream. I do uh, a spring retreat and a fall retreat. And then I'm doing some refuge recovery retreats. I'm going to try to do a bunch of shorter refuge recovery retreats next year, but this year that's it. There was a Refuge Recovery Treat in November, but it's very sold out. Um, Taos, New Mexico. Yeah, I used to mug people there, too. It's, yeah, it's like twice as many people wanted to come as we could fit. It's a small retreat center. I'm doing another retreat there at that same retreat center in April, a seven day in Taos. And that's on Refuge, it's not an Against the Stream, it's a
2: Refuge retreat. But that, that's open for registration now.
0: Two different organizations. I, I have to kind of separate the retreats from Refuge Recovery and from Against the Stream. Because Refuge is really for the recovery folks.
4: Who's
0: that Seattle or here? What, Refuge? Here, me, me
4: here.
0: Um, I think that's it. Oh, the other thing is that I have that uh, four month course that starts next weekend, or two weekends, September fourth. So if you want to do the four month course last chance to sign up, you're going to get a daily Dharma talk uh, in your email from uh, Ajahn Sumedho. And we're gonna start sending those this week. So you'll have like seven Dharma talks from him before we do our first session. So uh, if you're thinking of signing up, I'd sign up this week for sure for that. So you don't miss those first seven Dharma talks from Samedo. Is that
4: virtual?
0: It's virtual. The whole thing's gonna be done on Zoom. And it's gonna be pretty small, like 20, 30 people. Okay. Uh, It's believed that there's some good karma in meditation. And um, talking about the Buddhist teachings, the Dharma. May we gather this karma, this merit of our actions tonight, and rather than just depositing them in our own karma savings and loan, offering them outward in all directions, sharing with all beings, deposit to the universe of interconnected sentient beings. May each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye forever. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.